Welcome to Season 5 of the podcast of The Urban Mystic. In this season, we're exploring relational spirituality, which is not rooted in character formation and instead in immediate relational engagement with God. It is a relational, mystical spirituality encouraging people to enter deeply into living and loving in relation to their own self, others, and God. We can't think of any better venture to give our lives to than this, and I'm sure you'd agree with us. In this episode, we dive into one of our key values, the value of storytelling. Storytelling is vital to relational spirituality as it's vital to relational depth. We all live in relation to stories, and yet we can live more in relation to stories than to the people those stories are about. And we often live more in relation to our story, and there we're bound to our story and lost within our own self. The art of storytelling lies in self-discovery, and there with the sharing of who we are with ourselves and with others. Through storytelling, we can arrive at the true depth of living and loving, and enter deeply into our relationships, and there we've improved not only the quality of our own lives, but the quality of each and every person that we are connected with. Urban Mystic is supported by people making once-off and regular contributions. If you'd like to contribute from your tithe or make a contribution to this work just because you like us and like what we do, follow the PayPal link in the show notes. Please like, subscribe and leave a comment on your favorite listing platform. This also really helps grow the podcast. And if you like this episode, recommend it to a friend and come have a conversation with us. Last week, we um, we started to kick around the idea of some values that would underpin this relational spirituality and what would be important. And, you know, we've just been chatting about really taking a, a good stab at each of those one by one and going a little bit deeper into each one. My gut tells me, as we were talking about earlier today, that it's going to be hard work to to keep each of them kind of distinct and in their own episode, because I think there's a lot of just triangulation. You know, you're ready if you're a smart listener picking up that we might be aiming at three, perhaps more <laughs> to start with, to dig in. Because there's a lot of interconnectedness, I think, between these values and how they would manifest in practice. But we're gonna take a we're gonna take a good stab at the first one tonight and dig a little bit deeper into storytelling. And then we'll move on from there. We'll look at deep listening and we'll look at the reality, the practice, um, the presence of God and sort of relational intimacy there and, and what that what that entails. So it's a little bit of a trajectory about where we're headed. But tonight is storytelling. And cheapest, I mean, there are a number of facets to that that we can go through. But I guess it's safe to say storytelling is, surprise, surprise, spoiler alert, really just about telling the story. And I think as we discuss more, that'll just become more apparent about how multifaceted that actually is. But it just reminded me, I was thinking this afternoon about each of us telling our own stories and some of the emotions that I remember that we held going through that and and just putting our some of our own stories out for people to listen to and that was both a great experience and also just a little bit nerve-wracking it's it's quite something to be invited to show up kind of like in your authentic self as authentic as you can be and reveal some parts of yourself in story to somebody else and i mean that's hard enough sometimes just doing it one-on-one -on -one. it can be even harder doing it in groups and it can be somewhat mind-numbing to think that it's going out into the interweb ether and who knows who's listening to it or re-editing it to who knows what yeah it's it's a fascinating process and uh, i thought i would just kick that back across to you 
you said you had some thoughts to really get us get us going on, and then we'll we'll go from there around storytelling. So, listeners, welcome. Thank you for joining us yet again. We realized earlier today, quick aside, that uh, we've now managed to publish more than a hundred hours or so of content, which is uh, potentially a drop in the ocean, but is really cool for us to reflect back on some awesome conversations and the journey we've been on. And you've been such a critical part uh, as our listeners, and we're very grateful for you. So uh, thanks for joining us, and I uh, hope you enjoy tonight's conversation um, as we go forward. So, Tim, storytelling, what do you what do you want to jump in on all of that? Well, the first the first thing I want to jump in on is is last week's episode, the one that I actually published today, is episode seventy five for us. That's a massive massive accomplishment. I think by the time I finished recording episode two, I didn't think I had more than four episodes in me. And then, you know, you hopped in from episode three and we've been going ever since. So it's a, it's a big celebration. <laughs> Over 100 hours, 75 episodes. This is episode 76. What a, what a fantastic journey so far. It's in itself, it's a story, right? <laughs> mm -hmm. Yes, true. With storytelling, I'm... I'm reminded. I think it's either a it's 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 an Esther Perel slash Brene Brownish uh, quotes. Either of them could be easily credited for it. I think it might be Brene Brown who says that when we tell our stories in safe places, shame dies. And that's that's a really powerful thing when it comes to storytelling. In 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 my mind, I think storytelling is 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 liberating because it gives people a window it gives it gives people the opportunity to let others see them and see them for what their story means to them and in the telling of their story people have to make meaning of their story and present it and in that there's a deep awareness that they're actually curating a story for people and in some sense a deep awareness of the story that has a hold on them one of the things I love about storytelling is the way in which it enables people to stop living in relation to a story of who or what they're supposed to be and actually become free of that to be actually who they are and let their story be made from their present going forward rather than the past and the way it's got a hold on them. So storytelling taps into the, to, to the need that each and every single one of us has to be known that for each of us there is a story to be told and multiple stories to be told and in genuine intimacy is the sharing of our story when we tell that story it helps us to remember who we are where we've come from what has impacted us what events experiences which people have shaped us into who we are but more importantly it lets us gain a bit of perspective in the in, in terms of the person we've been trying to be or in terms of what we're trying to live up to, or what we're trying to attain or accomplish, and get some distance between that to get down to the deeper self, the deeper drivers, the deeper, the, the, the deeper self, and get in touch with that and enable us to, to, grow, to grow and live in keeping with the deeper self rather than living in keeping with the story of where we've come from or who others have expected us to be or the direction that we've taken in life that perhaps no longer suits us so so just as a start i start thinking that that that's just some generalizations about storytelling and why it is so important storytelling takes place at different scales or in different settings there's the one-on-one -on -one setting 
that the person has with themselves and the one-on-one setting that they might have with a very close other. And that's often very informal, very ad hoc, depending on what's going on in life. But then I think there's ways in which storytelling can be a, be a, a very structured, a loosely structured and yet important part of processing and journeying intentionally with others, be that in a one-on-one relationship with, with someone that's providing spiritual accompaniment, or be that in the context of the individual in relation to a group and an individual in relation to God who also listens to our stories. So there's ways in which we can go about telling our stories that enables us to 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 go through a process of building relationships with people even as we build our relationship with ourselves through that storytelling. So I think there's different scales at which we can do storytelling at that level as well. Oh, there's so much that you bring up there that I just kind of, as you're saying, I want to stick a pin in and go, okay, cool, we're going to come back to that, we're going to come back to that. I envision at some point in the future that we're going to move to a video podcast format and I'm going to have a whiteboard in the background. I'm just going to start writing stuff all over as we talk so that I can come back to all the points. So, I mean, just just to start with, the things that jump out to me are things like identity, identity and storytelling very much wrapped up in each other. Um, Storytelling is a reflective space as well. It's an opportunity to look in the mirror. It's it's about your agency as well. There's all sorts of levels of, of agency there in terms of owning your story, owning your story in such a way that you choose to to leave parts behind, to embrace new parts, to go out and actively write something else, to change the story's course, to exclude or include characters moving forward in your story. There's all sorts of those sorts of things there. And then just the scale in which we do that reminds me, and I said that to you as well earlier today, I think just the three sort of, what would we call those, the three areas that's not really what i'm looking to say the ways in which relational spirituality plays out the, the way in which it's potentially prioritized and practiced at different scales or contexts no i'm thinking of our, our three sort of our three sort of the threefold areas in which relational spirituality plays itself out which is in the self to divine self to self and self to other so there's that as well, you know, so there's there's the storytelling where, where I sit one-on-one with myself and, you know, some of my, quite a bit of my experience with that when I sit with others is sitting with somebody else while they're in that one-on-one to their self space. It sounds a little bit weird, but it's entering into their story in such a way as to help them tease out the stories they've been telling themselves that are unhelpful, that are negative, et cetera. And that's just where I've used narrative therapy, for example, working with people, because we sit one-on-one and we say these things over again. It's part of our story. Part of my story is that I'm, you know, Steve the idiot or Steve the dumb or Steve the person who can't or whatever. And so you have that or, or one-on-one Let's, let, let's use some positives there as well. <laughs> yes, okay, let's throw one in. Steve who may be. <laughs> um, but yes, there's, there's also the positives, obviously, that go with that as well. But there's that space where it's just you and yourself, and there's a storytelling going on and a witnessing there. And um, 
and then you say and then there's the the space between yourself and and an other perhaps an intimate other and then you move outwards to perhaps telling it within groups there's the way in which you tell your story with stranger with a stranger with strangers on mass you know the story you tell about yourself as you walk down the street the way in which you hold yourself etc this and i love that because it just it illustrates without being very specific the enormous complexity of how somebody goes about manifesting their identity i.e telling their story throughout their life in different ways but i think what we drill down into here and i think what we're shining the spotlight on and and you mentioned some specifics there is the way in which one almost verbalizes the storytelling and and owns that in a in a smaller scale as an expression of identity one on one with self one on one with others in a smaller group etc and so it shines the spotlight on storytelling happens all the time regardless of whether we think it or not it's happening everywhere we go it's how we express or repress our identity it's in what we own and don't own etc cetera, etc cetera. but we're we're really zooming in on the active conscious practice of going okay no 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 let me just refine that carefully because practice follows the value it's the value that doing that 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 storytelling is vitally important as a sense of owning and revealing myself to myself and to others with god etc and so it takes the conversation i guess of identity and just really focuses it in on okay what if we really valued storytelling what if it showed up as a very important part of who we were one on one one on one with self to intimate others in smaller groups etc what would it look like if we then practiced that value intentionally consciously with all the agency we can muster with all of the reflective power that that brings to bear these are just things you know that popped out as you were talking and i think that that's that's part of where i'm really excited to go tonight in terms of like what is what is what happens when you harness that very focused value of storytelling what is it what is being done when that happens and what happens because of that being of high value and i think we could go on and on and on and on about all the context in which it's low value but i think that would detract from the conversation so maybe we'll put out a b-side bonus at some point where we just tear strips off all the places that don't but that's not going to be the conversation tonight i don't think it's to dig into the the value itself as positive and how it lends to relational spirituality storytelling is one of the the basic building blocks and skills that is important to cultivate a relational spirituality it is it is something that's an integral building block in every course that I personally run. Things like the seven key relationships, the problem of God, the Trinity sessions. In each of those, people are telling the story of their of a key relationship. It, it it's intentional. It's curated. It ends up being quite safe within those things. But then storytelling is also the fundamental thing that that I that I do, and I know that you do, when working one on one with people. It's it's enabling people to tell their stories. And and I think the most powerful thing that I see in that 
is the transition from people being owned by their stories to being free of their story to be the person that they actually are. I've often seen that in the self-talk that people have, the self-talk is an expression of the story that people are living in relation to. But while they're only keeping that story within themselves, it's got the power to define who they are and keep them being the person they've always been. And yet, as they start opening up and sharing that, that's those stories with people, whether it's one-on-one -on -one or in the context of a group or in the context of a process, what happens is they get this window on themselves as being seen that they are not their story, that they are actually something deeper and more concrete than their story. And it enables them to become free to live out and produce a new story from that point onwards. I don't know if that's too abstract a thing to to say, but I feel like it's it it for me that's there's something so powerful in that transition from being held by your story and your story defining you to being the place where you understand at a deep level the impact that your life experiences had on you the impact that the choices and the commitments that you've made have on you and the ability to become free of that to be authentically who you are and actually enter into place of actually discovering who you are yeah i wanted to can i jump in there and just say let's because i'm i think i'm with you and it is quite abstract but it might be helpful to really dig into what are you talking about there what is happening there yeah, and I think I'll keep the other questions for just now. That's enough to get started. So, so kind of take us through. What do you mean by you know? You've used this phrase a few times over the last few years. The the idea of living in relation to a story. What do you mean by kind of bringing the story out into the open? What is it that the that this how? What is it? How is it that the story has this power of the person? What is it that happens when the story comes out? What is in the process? How are people then leaving that behind them? Perhaps just kind of just go back through that a little bit with a little bit more of a fine tooth comb. And if you can put any kind of concrete examples, you know, even if it's just sort of making something up off the top of your head without having to go through someone's exact life story that they've told you, you know, as an example, take us through that in terms of just being very clear about what we're saying. As people, we make meaning, we make stories all the time. A clear example within the season was you and I telling the story of our early experience of God, that first phase for each of us. And I think those episodes really highlight the power of storytelling in the sense of which events or experience stand out that actually make the story. You know, in that case, it's, it's clear. You know, I had an idea of what of who you are and what your relationship with God was about. And with that, I can lock you into a position as an outsider because I think I know what your story is. So I relate to the story that I have to you rather than to relating to you as a person. But then in listening to you tell that story and process things live for yourself, there's there's clear moments where where you're transitioning from the story that you've always been telling others or at least the way in which you tell that story to others and the way in which you were expected to, which also defined what your relationship with God was like and what the key markers was. And yet as you told your story, there's a shift that was enabled by doing so. Now, I, I had the same experience myself where, where I've always told the story around certain 
key events that I've always been expected to put first or been expected to tame down or been expected to tell in certain ways. And 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 that that story of my earlier experience of God in that way had shaped my understanding of God and my relationship with God. And it's only as I started being able to authentically tell the story for what it is, and even in that session with you telling that story, I shifted in relation to my story. And and it freed me up to actually see that the story is actually broader and more nuanced and deeper than I've experienced in the past, not in a way that locks me down, but in a way that actually opens me up. And so I think that's that's a clear example. But if we if we think of each of the... Hang on, hang on, hang on. Can I put another pin in there? Sorry, because I just want to, I want to tease out a couple of things that you're saying and just like really sort of, we, we can keep going in terms of breaking it down, but I would just want to take it another level. So there are a few things that I hear you mention there that I just want to make sure I sort of disentangle. The first is you start off describing your relation to my story, right? And so jump in at any point if I'm kind of missing it, but my, my sense there is that this is the story that you tell yourself about who I am based off our interaction, how I've told you who I am. So there's an element of me kind of telling my own story and you picking up on things and you're prioritizing, et cetera, et cetera. And so you're then, you, you then retell that story to yourself in a way of this is who Steve is, this are his experiences, et cetera, et cetera. So there's that element going on there. And then at some point also there's, you, you mentioned, and I just want to make sure we have these distinct because I don't think you mean them to be entangled. There's also me interacting to my story. And then you talk also about yourself, right? In terms of there's a, and then there's a number of forces that come to bear on that. There's the way in which I've always told myself my story. And some of it is, is, is almost like like we talked about in the actual telling of the story, we talked about kind of the raw image or the raw data that comes through. And that often needs to be edited and processed so that it becomes a refined image in that we're not just subconsciously, we're not just kind of, we're not, I don't want to say consuming because that almost sounds like it's process oriented. We're not, we're not just taking into ourselves these moments and these experiences subconsciously un acted upon without our conscious attention and effort, et cetera, to, I guess, at some level, interrogate, interact with, engage with, ask questions of, and just refine what were these things and how is that coming to be part of my story? It's just kind of, it's brought into the storytelling narrative. And that becomes how I describe myself to myself. And that's how I, I then sort of live that. And then again, we come back to my first point, which is then partly how you make up your story of who I am. There are other factors involved that you put your finger on there. For example, there are external factors of pressure around the ways in which I prioritize the things that have happened to me and that I have taken into be part of my story around what I should or shouldn't have. So this experience I highlight in my story because there's an external influence that says, you know, that should be an important part of your story. For example, let's say some sort of conversion experience. So when, uh, it's so complex that to talk in any detail, you mention one thing and it immediately ignores another thousand. But just for the sake of trying to be clear and specific, let's say you're in a religious community that highly values a walking to the front of a building and falling over 
when one of the leaders of that religious institution touches you on the forehead with a hand and says some words over you. And so you look for that to be part of your story because you know that's part of how your story comes into congruency with the greater story within that religious community. And if it doesn't happen, you fill that in in other ways to try to give your story a, a thread that runs in the thread with the external influences, right? So I also hear you putting kind of your finger on that. There's, there's editing influences and remember that can't be part of your story. And so then not to come all the way back again and go, so what I hear you saying is in the retelling of the story, there's a way in which it's told that allows us to relook at all of those factors again. And here I must just, I must just separate two things again. I can't look at the way necessarily that you tell your, my story to start with. In my telling of my story, the primary happening there is me telling my own story and witnessing it for myself in such a way that I'm allowed to consciously go, okay, I've told it this way before and I've highlighted the falling over at the front of the church or I've highlighted the lack of the falling over at the front of the church, right? Or whatever it might be. Why is that? What is the actual story? So for example, very specific example, when I did that story live with you, I was reminded that in that experience, I didn't have a voice or anything, but there was this emphasis of the hand, which was kind of there in the sort of the murky depths of the story. But it was only when I was given the space to really just pay very close attention to how I was telling the story that that emerged again. And I had to go, oh, wow, that's, uh, that's come up. That is an important part of the story. Why did I dismiss or miss or whatever it might be to start with? And this is like, I'm not even getting into the whole, let's not even go down the neurology of mem memory, right? It's just why we tell what, what we tell and the things that emerge, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so there's something happening there when I retell the story that allows me to reorder, re-edit, re-emphasize. Like those are some of the things I hear you saying, right? Am, am I am I kind yeah, of very much so you're right. Yeah. Sort yeah. of breaking it down there. What would you say? Because to start with I wanted to ask you the question, why is why is it so important? Why is telling our story? Why is that a building block of relational spirituality? Like why is that so important? And I think I'm moving now to the question I actually want to ask is, what is happening in that moment that makes it so important? What is happening when I tell you my story and you listen that allows you to change your story that you tell yourself about me and allows me to do that? And, and why, is that so, why is that so crucial? What do you see happening there? It's stripping away the layers of narrative between us. You know, when I get up in the morning and I put my clothes on, I'm getting dressed and I'm telling everyone else and I'm telling myself who I am in part by how I dress. When I go to work and choose the work that I do or drink the kind of coffee that I choose over over something else, th there's layers there again of where I'm I'm entering into different stories at different layers. You know, so... So there's a constant living in relation to story. And I think I become aware in listening to people's stories. Like I become aware in listening to your story in that environment. 
how 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 the degree to which I'm not necessarily relating to you as a person, I'm relating to the story that I have about you. And that's where it becomes powerful because I'm able to then start looking beyond the story that I have about you, looking beyond the story that you have about you, and actually look deeper than that to see the who you are that is actually hidden at the depths of your story. And to to see you as as you are, however imperfectly I'm able to see you and however imperfectly or tentatively or confidently you're able to step out and reveal who you are. So I think I think what's powerful about that is is it's in that that we actually make a deeper human connection to each other. Where we move from distant distanced interactions to to a closer proximity to each other and we're actually able to connect deeply. So I think I think for me that's that's a big part of it in that situation. I think the other thing is if I've got a, a certain picture of who you are, um I relate to you as that person that I think that you are. And in that I can be missing a genuine human interaction with you. Because if I relate to you as as um you know the version that I used to have of you, and I come to discover that actually you're quite different to that. I've I've then got the opportunity of of relating to you, and not actually bypassing a connection with you to relate to that story about you. So I think I think in those in those areas that's where it's quite powerful. But then the other thing is, you know, I could have an image or an idea of you that actually has no idea or no match. Or, or no picture of who you are. You know, like for instance, I've I've recently had a conflict situation with someone. We haven't spoken meaningfully in over two years. <laughs> and yet and yet the the perception that this person has of me is is a story that they've built. And all I hear in the interaction with them is a lot of projection, a lot of stuff that's been thrown at me. And 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 the fact that I've got some familiarity with storytelling enabled me to cut through that and go, hey, hold on you're a person who hasn't spoken to me in over two years and you're throwing all this at me as though it's current. You're actually relating to a story about me and that story isn't built in relation to me. That's a story that you've built in isolation from me. So of course that's disconnected to me. So the person that they are so upset about and that they're fighting with is not the person that I am. They're fighting with a story about me. And I think I think how this plays out in, in our relationships, especially in cl- our close intimate relationships, is we, we, we consistently build a story about a person and then we relate to that story, not to that person. And we respond to that story and we're triggered off that story. <laughs> and And stories in that sense get in the way, whereas healthy stories enable relationships dysfunctional stories disable relationships so i think it's 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 at that level and and we can look at it in, in different ways like like my story about you was not accurate it, it's not that i deliberately built an inaccurate picture of you it's not that you sold me the wrong story either it's just that as i've pieced it together it doesn't actually match who you are so for me in 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 that kind of context to hear your story is a tremendous privilege especially to hear your story at depth because it it enables me at that depth to actually get closer to who you are as a person and our relationship can deepen and our mutual value for each other can deepen and and the quality of our connection and our communication can deepen because i'm actually connecting with you I'm not filtering that. So I think I think that's that's the starts 
of it. That's the that's the powerful nature of it, just in general as a value. I think the ways we go about practicing that make it safe or unsafe, depending on the context and how it's facilitated even in, in group settings. Oh, it's like a thousand different directions I want to go with that. <laughs> it's, for me, it's obvious. It's so incredibly rich. There's just there's, there's so much to be explored within this. Well, while you take a second, I'm going to get something. Mm. May I? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Give me more to think about. Go for it. I'm very aware that, that a lot of the conversations that I have with people is around their spiritual experience and the absence and the presence of God. And they've got big questions often, or they're wrestling with things. I'm aware that they're wrestling with stories. They're wrestling with stories about God. They're wrestling with stories that they've been told are supposed to be true. And they're trying to work out from the story of their life what is or isn't true. And they're, they're working through the mismatch between stories. I'm, I'm very aware that when we tell a story about, say, for instance, you know, why Jesus died on the cross, was it to appease Satan? Was it to appease God? Was it as a sacrifice? Was it as mm. an apology? Mm. There's any number of different ways we can go. Is it just is it just lack of the joy and he had a bad run? You know, like whatever it is. Or, or was this his victory march and he'd always intended it? You know, was it an accident? Was he was he confused? Was he was his deep abandonment real? You know, et cetera, et cetera. There's different ways in which those stories are are approached and then our expression of Christianity is often built in relation to that. And then we struggle with that. People struggle with those kind of things quite often. So I'm aware at that level, we are actually living in relation to stories at every level of our lives. And it's important that we shift from those big stories to the concrete tapestry of what's actually going on in our lives. I don't know if that's a helpful trajectory or tangent to throw in there, but it's it, it's another one that really comes to mind that I see really playing out quite often in people's quite often in people's lives. Well, it gives me a good starting point because one of the things I was thinking about was I think it's very helpful to say that stories are not necessarily bad. Stories are part of the way in which we make sense of our reality. And part of the reason that we're, I think that we're storied beings is because it takes an unbelievably complex reality. You know, I mean, like there's different numbers out there in terms of how many pieces of stimuli uh, your brain has to deal with on a second-by-second -second basis in this life. But your executive center is only able to deal with a certain amount. Like your attention can only take so much and then make meaning out of so much as as you as you move through this life second by second and so we are forever simplifying life just as a, at even at a base survival level and that's partly where stories come in and so stories are not necessarily bad because one of the things that i would say is that part of the journey is to craft a better story it's not necessarily to, to get rid of story because uh, that's how I would partly describe reality. We are forever just telling stories about ourselves and others. But the point is to get closer and closer to the real self, the real other's self, the real divine self, and so that our stories ring true in a more relationally correct, connected way. So sometimes I think people can hear the word story and it sounds negative. Oh no, you know, I, I think of coming from a very English kind of pseudo British up 
bringing the the idea of somebody telling stories is a, is it's like you equate that immediately with lying essentially that's not necessarily the case but there are helpful and healthy ways to tell stories about ourselves you know like you prompted me earlier when i was saying only the negative stuff <laughs> there is uh, there's ways to tell helpful and healthy stories about each other and god essentially one of the things that i think is valuable in stories is that shared story between people is co-created and when one person owns a story about somebody else without any collaboration that's potentially a a, a chance for real upset real hurt real danger and part of what you were discussing just now is is it takes a lot of humility to sit back and listen to somebody's somebody else's story and go there is a chance here for me to be surprised there's a chance here for me to hear something new and quite possibly that's happening because the storyteller is experiencing something new they're also allowing themselves the opportunity for growth for change for moving forward for discovering who they are more and more and living in some way in more resonance with the story of who they are as opposed to the story of how they understand themselves so far let's say that that's poorly formulated we'll maybe come back to that and so you know when you 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 talk about kind of stories about god i would say there's a collaborative thing potentially going on there in terms of oh, if you want to have a better sense i would say from relational spirituality now let me take this run at it so that for me is one of the issues like when we talked about the bible that's one of the central issues there is in the way in a way the bible is something we use as a formulated story but it's a very rigid story that we use to tell god who god is it's not necessarily collaborative it's the story i've owned about who god is and then the beauty of a story like that as you know you were talking earlier about potentially you know you you mentioned so conflict with somebody else where they where they where they own and refine or make up or whatever it is a story about you but not in relation with you stories like that as the story keeper you hold all of the editing power all of the referencing power and you essentially craft reality about that other person through the and you wield the power of the story and you know that happens in the one-on-one -on -one internally as well stories are a way in which we can basically be killed we can be kept captive within ourselves or we can be kept captive by others because this is the story that somebody tells you about i mean i see i would see this all the time you, you just look at children and their development and it takes like so many positive affirmations to to balance out a negative statement that someone oh susie's just stupid susie will own that story she's held captive by that story and i mean i can remember i, I worked with school teachers and you would talk about the necessity of having a clean slate with a child when they come into your year and this is not utopia i'm talking about it's not like you know dylan stab classmates the year before you probably want that information to carry forward and you know people need to help dylan but someone says well susie's just stupid and then that carries on to the next year the, the next teacher owns that story about susie without ever having interacted with susie 
And Susie comes in already held captive to the idea, oh, well, we're not expecting her to do very well. Why? Because she's stupid. She can't do this. She can't do that. Whatever. And that story holds her captive. But if Susie can openly and vulnerably tell her story of who she is in an educational manner within that class, and the teacher will participate with her, Susie will start to tell her own story in a different way, and the teacher will start to start to will join her in that, will will support her in that, because she will also tell the story of, of who Susie is, who she's becoming closer to understanding herself to be. And so that's some of what I kind of hear you saying, and I'm perhaps coming at it from a different angle, and that's why it's so incredibly important. What the hell is incredibly important? Um, what am I talking about? I've covered, I feel like I'm, it's, it's a little bit scattered, but... Yeah, I, you, you really are highlighting the ways in which people can be captive to stories, the ways in which the stories that we tell can be a barrier to connecting between people, and the ways in which authentic stories can be ways to connect with people. Yes. And the function of storytelling, and that's what I hear you saying, the reason it's so powerful is it allows the genuine to emerge from potentially, and I think that's what I was trying to just emphasize, from potentially having been shrouded by a previous story. And something that struck me, you talked about this person you had the conflict with and you'd last seen them two years ago. So the, the strange thing about story is, if, if I borrow your example, let's say, and I move it out of context, because I'm not trying to say this specifically about you, well, let me talk about me. I, I could take you now to people I knew from 15 years ago, and they could tell you a story about me that would be both completely 100% accurate and, well, I don't know about 100% false, <laughs> but, but relatively false. Because they'd be telling you about a Steve who was 15, who was alive 15 years ago, and a lot of that Steve doesn't exist anymore. Because I was, to a great extent, a very different person 15 years ago. And I'm hoping that I've become a slightly better person, a slightly more thoughtful, a slightly more compassionate, a slightly more loving, a slightly more relationally engaged person. But if I took you back to those people from 15 years ago, they could give you an accurate depiction, I think, in some ways, who I was. And so that story would be true to a certain extent. But if they tried to say, but that's who he is now, I would say, no, I think we should have some conversation. And if you're willing to listen, you might be surprised by some of the things that I've let go of, some of the things I've had to apologize for, some of the things I've had to work really damn hard on to eliminate out of that story. Because I would agree with you, a lot of what you tell me, that story of who I was 15 years ago, I would agree with you that that's who I was. I'm not certain it's who I am anymore. And so that's where stories can be really interesting because, because they can be true in the past. And yet we can see the break when people start to take that agency within themselves and go, yeah, perhaps I'm not useless. I'm not going to be useless anymore. I'm, I'm going to go out there and I'm going to make some changes. Or I never listened. Or I didn't care for people. Or I was very selfish or whatever it was. I was stupid. I, you know, I was a bum. Whatever it was, I'm gonna. Re I mean, like you see this in addict work, right? One of the things that addicts have to do is if they have to help other people own their new identity, 
because the old story is so exceptionally powerful because of some of the things they've done that they actually have to they have to help people shed that skin on their behalf. Oh, that's very that's very powerful. And that's a very beautiful, powerful thing that happens in storytelling is if people have been hurt, and that's part of the reason, as I understand it, that addicts go to try and 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 um, essentially ask for forgiveness. They try to make up the wrongs that they've done without trying to erase the past. They try to oh, what I'm looking for. They, I mean, they ask for forgiveness and they try to make they try to make right with the people in a way. But part of that is an invitation for that person who was hurt to engage in the storytelling and listen to the addict say, "I was this, but I am this now." There's been change. Would you would you meet me in that? And would you hear this story? And would you agree with that story? Would you take that on as part of how you tell the story of me? Uh, I'm going to draw on some psychological terminology, yeah, and I'm going to caveat that by saying I'm, I'm not a psychologist, psychologist, and you way more familiar with the stuff than I am. So please, well, let, let's see. J- jump in, <laughs> jump in with the nerf bat and the chafing bat to help me, yeah. <laughs> let's see. You know, I'm I'm aware that 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 people who've had traumatic childhoods go from being a child to being an adaptive child. They, they become a something in order to be strong and survive. And that's great for them as children. And yet, as an adult in their 20s, 30s, 40s, it's important for them to let go of the adaptive child because that adaptive child is now pretty poor at, at relationships as an adult because they're not functioning as adults. They're functioning as, as, as that child that learned to survive. Now, now that's one layering of it. But that person who was an adaptive child ends up being an adult who then has to readapt to live in the world. And so in many ways, we become an onion skin of stories that we've put on top of each other. The privilege of being able to tell your story later on with people is the privilege of being able to remove and peel back those layers and get through those different layers, not to be a child that's in need of being cared for or anything like that not to replace those things but to be the person that you are with all your weaknesses and all your strengths but to strip away those stories to be the person that you are now and to be healed and restored in and through telling those stories i I don't know if that makes sense i'm i I feel like i'm doing yeah 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 no no absolutely Absolutely. I mean, I think think about it from the perspective of somebody who puts on multiple layers of clothes, but doesn't necessarily change the clothes underneath. And so you have potentially some clothes that are, perhaps where the analogy breaks down a little bit, but are dirty, but haven't seen the light of day in a long time. And so it's like itchy and scratchy, and you're not actually very comfortable. But on the outside, you have like a nice shiny suit on, because that's part of the way in which you've, you've covered up the things that have happened. And and one of the powerful things in storytelling is to revisit those things as painful as they are and to revisit them in a different way and tell a different story about them that is raw and visceral and painful, but potentially also more accurate. You know, you, like, so a, a classic one with young children in divorce is that mommy and daddy got divorced. It's my fault. It's because I didn't clean up my Legos or whatever and it's revisiting that story and and, and it's reinforced as an adult by stepping on lego in the dark (laughs) (laughs) yes exactly (laughs) this comes back to punish you later 
but it's it's to visit that story and go okay there's 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 no truth in the fact that that like that you caused the split there were two adults who made difficult decisions and potentially bad decisions and you were caught in the middle and you did your best see that's where the story comes in you did your best to make sense of an exceedingly complex situation with the personhood of who you were at that point was unable to grapple with the exceeding complexities of that situation. And so you created a story to make sense of it. And how you made sense of it was one day daddy walked in really angry and said, Oh man, these Legos are everywhere. Why haven't you cleaned them up? And immediately after that fought with mommy. And then mommy said, well, I don't want to live with daddy anymore. And I went, Oh, two plus two makes four every time, every time it makes four. Well, we need to re like we need to take off a couple of layers of clothing. We need to take out that filthy garment that you've been wearing and go, maybe you don't need to wear that anymore. And let's relook at that. And that's incredibly powerful. I, I just want to interject something, yeah, because mm. because there's an interplay between stories because I might be in the process where I'm trying to dig through the layers of those stories, but you might always just be seeing the shiny gloss that I've got on and going, no, but Tim, you're, you're competent, you're good, you're this, you're that. And I'm digging layer and going, shit, you know, there's something on the inside here that's just not right. And I'm trying to get at it. And, and you could be in the position where you go, well, I don't have time for that. I only want you to show up with a glossy. And so, so, and I feel like our society operates that way because we don't care about someone's childhood background. We just care that they show up for work and they perform. We don't care. I mean, we, we do care if they're doing things or they're on drugs and that's going to inhibit their work. <laughs> but we don't necessarily care about the deeper person or why the person is uncomfortable. We just care that they, that they perform often in society. So in many ways, there's, we, we live within a network of stories. Uh, you know, in relation to the work that we're doing, in relation to the economy, in relation to our family, in relation to ourselves, et cetera, et cetera. And so, so I think in some ways, storytelling needs to, especially if we're looking at relational spirituality, storytelling is ways in which we connect genuinely with other people, but it's ways in which we connect genuinely with ourselves. But it's also important because it enables other people to connect genuinely with who we are. And so, so I think of it as, as something that is potentially really dangerous <laughs> and at the same time tremendously transformative. Because in a certain sense, I, for me to peel away the layers of those stories is for me to actually lose the self that I've always told myself I am and I've told others that I am. So stories are powerfully transformative in a Jungian sense, someone would use alchemically, you know, alchemically transformative, or you know, we could use words, we could use any number of of different, you know, symbols and frameworks. But at the basic level, to enable people to tell their stories is to enable people to become free of the stories that they told themselves in those different earlier years, and that's where it's powerful. Because in becoming free of that, if I don't have to be that maladaptive child anymore, who the hell am I? Do I know? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, let's make a new story together. Let's journey together going forward. Okay, that enables me to become the person that I'm trying to discover who I am. You know, you're trying to discover who I am. So I think I think there's 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 storytelling is powerful because it shifts us from being who we were supposed to be or being who we're supposed to be to becoming the person that we are, to becoming in the being and the becoming as active verbs today rather than having been shaped to who we are and being forever stuck that way. And there's a lot of process, like coming back to that conversation involved in that, right? I mean, it's very messy. 
there's there's often before there's becoming there's unbecoming and it's somewhat helpful to distinguish those two while at the same time it's quite murky the unbecoming and the becoming sometimes play out simultaneously they're cyclical they're sometimes linear you know there's it's but it's messy and if and if i think simply about one of the reasons that we come up with a story is that it is a defense mechanism. It's a weapon that we can craft to protect ourselves from some of the hurtful, harmful things in the world that happen. The invitation and the safety is essentially, you can put down that weapon. And I'll agree with you that while you are more vulnerable, while you are perhaps defenseless, I'm not going to rush in and cause you to have to pick up another weapon to defend yourself but I'm going to invite you to be brave and dig internally and perhaps root something out that's unimportant. If I, if I think of some of the most significant issues with couples that I've dealt with, it has to do with, you know, I would use the word instinctual, although that would be only somewhat helpful, but it's, it's like knee-jerk reactive stuff in people that you have to go but we have to we have to create a space in which we can move beyond that and you know bare minimum this whole she said then i said then she said then i said like is that working no so we have to put those weapons down which are just essentially self protective it's a way of just going yeah, but when she says this Trigger, that's a great word, because what it means is I'm going to fight you on that, because I don't want that to get in. I don't want you to come in and I don't want you, oh, you, why do you always leave your shoes around the house? Well, what is she really trying to say to me? Is she saying to me that I'm someone who's lazy or is incompetent or like what's going on? Or he says this and about my family or whatever, the, all the reels that I've dealt with that just play on, on kind of automatic pilot and repeat with people. To go, okay, but let's put that aside and really listen and listen to the person as if they're telling you a genuine, revelatory piece of information about themselves. They're not trying to hurt you, they're not trying to get at you. It may be hurtful, sure, it might get to you, it might ask something of you. There might be change that needs to happen on your side for this relationship to flourish, but let's listen to their story. Because people don't attack other people because they feel safe. They don't attack other people because they feel loved and needed, etc. We do that out of defensiveness. We do that to protect ourselves. And that's a beautiful part of genuine storytelling is an invitation. When you talk about peeling back the layers, I think of putting weapons down and going, okay, I no longer need to control Tim through my version of his story. I can enter a, bra a brave space and go, okay, Tim is allowed to tell me things that surprise me, challenge me, upset me about who he is, what he's experienced, what he's going through. And I need to be brave enough to hear that in a way that witnesses to his process because he might be telling me something difficult because he wants to get rid of it. Or he might be telling me some, some, something difficult because that's genuinely who he is or where he is or whatever it might be, and and listening allows that to come out. Sorry, now I'm jumping into our second value, but, but entering into the storytelling, let me put it that way, entering into that as a value and holding that and going, this is important, this process. 
allows for that to take place and for us to be curious about that and to to engage with that in the process, in the mess, in the murk. It's exceptionally difficult, I find. It asks a lot of me every time I have to do it. It's it's very draining. Well, well, I think that's where it is. It's it's a question of how how is the, this value for storytelling prioritized and practiced? And, and there we're getting quite practical. There's a couple of principles at this level that clarify storytelling and enable storytelling to be a safe er <laughs> experience, because because someone telling their stories puts them in a position of vulnerability to themselves in the same way that it puts them in a position of vulnerability to others. And I want to, I want to acknowledge that, which is, which is why storytelling taking place in the context and a process can be tremendously valuable in one sense. But if it takes place in another context, it can be quite an unsafe experience. And so, so what do we need to make storytelling safe? We actually ended up modeling something like this when you and I told our stories about our experience of God. The first thing is both you and I were required to share, but we got to choose what we shared, and we got to choose the depth at which we shared it, the depth of vulnerability or the depth of exposure. And so I think that that, that is one of the principles that I think is is tremendously valuable to, to hold to. And so if it's in a one-on-one -on -one context, you share and I share, or at least you know the way we did it is I shared first and then you shared, I got to choose what I shared, you got to choose what you shared, and there was a lot of respect and exploration within what was shared, as opposed to going, Steve, I'm expecting you to tell me something else. So I didn't force my way into your story. You were in control of the story that you shared. I was in control of the way that I shared. You didn't force your way into that. You, you offered a li listening and explorative space. So, so that's one principle. Together with that goes the, goes the fact that you listen to me to understand what my story meant to me, not to tell me what my story meant to me. You didn't debate my story with me. You weren't looking to correct my story. You were looking to, to enable me to understand my story while you were looking for me to help you understand my story, if that makes sense, and, and vice versa. So, 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 so storytelling isn't about debating the accuracy of someone else's story and it's not about telling other people how they're supposed to understand their story it's about it's about enabling them to tell their story so that they can understand what their story means to them and so that myself as the listener can understand what their story means to them i think the other things that end up being important is is the classic things of confidentiality confidentiality when you tell me your story i don't go and tell other people your story your story always remains in your hands to tell and for me to experience the privilege of. But then the other thing is, is storytelling in this sense is not a counseling session. And, and especially if, we, if it's in a group context, if there's four of us that all have to tell our story, no individual stories should dominate the group. If there's four of us and, you know, Tim's the only one that tells his story and everyone else is expected to listen to it. Again, that's, I guess that's, that's cutting against the preaching dynamic as well because you're not telling your story as though it is the only story that matters. It's one story. Mm, so it's normative, yeah. Those for me are things that, that, that become principles that enable storytelling to be quite vital. I think the other thing is, is, is some kind of consciousness of the process of why the story is being told. And in the context of two people getting to know each other, like lovers or friends, the, the process of telling stories is very much 
it's very open it's it's based on whatever comes up in any given moment but if people are sharing a journey together then then the shared boundaries and shared expectations of that journey end up being quite important as well so to that i would love to add the value without let me not use the word value because it makes it a little bit murky in terms of what we're setting out as the primary topic let me say the principle of curiosity because i think how are we going to balance this well? I don't disagree with anything you say about the safety that's created. People owning their stories, and the deep listening, the listening to somebody's story for what it means to them. I do think a principle that enhances the storytelling, if it's located in what you've already said, the principle of curiosity, I think, can bring out more of the story. And so there I think about the fine line. You know, you say it's not a counseling interaction, and I would agree, because I think that's a very specific agreement between two people or a group of people or whatever it might be. But... If I listen to your story and I'm not quite certain I understand what you're saying, and I'm allowed to ask a question, and I can be curious and go, I, I don't get what you're saying. If it's located within the space of I'm here to listen to your story and understand it for what it means to you, it's not a challenge. It's not what you said is wrong, or you should phrase it more like this or this. I think, I think there's a collaborative space around, let's be very clear. So person A and person B. Person A is telling the story. Person B is witnessing the story. But what I'm suggesting is that it's not necessarily person A is active in telling and person B is passive in listening. But even there, there can be a collaborative alliance. So in therapy, we talk about the therapeutic alliance, which is the bond of trust built between, let's say, the two people, right? And that encourages questions, poking. It, enc it encourages insights even from the person doing the listening going, you know, I hear you saying this and I wonder whether you are, you know, then they deliver the insight. That might not necessarily land 100% in the storytelling. But some good questions can really, if it's for the sake of clarity, can really help stimulate further thought. And even the speaker can go, you know, when I hear you tell me what you've heard me tell you, I realize that I misemphasized. Because if, if what I said, what you got was, you know, I went into the jungle and I wrestled a tiger and the tiger died. And you go, oh, wow, Steve. So, I mean, you, you're really proud that you killed a tiger. And I go, huh, is that how that story comes across? That's, that's not actually what I feel. But I become aware of that feeling in the reflection. Because as I tell the story, I tell the story in terms of what happened. And my retelling can be quite visceral. It can be, this is, this is it. And the person says, oh, if I'm curious about what's going on, I say, it sounds like you... Sounds like you enjoyed killing the tiger. And I go, oh, that's fascinating. Yes, I can't locate that in myself, actually. Thank you for that. No, I think I'm actually sad. 
Why are you sad? Are you sad that you went into the forest? No. You sad that you killed the tiger? Yes. So you were happy you were there, but you weren't happy with what you did? Yeah. Why is that? I'm not sure. Well, tell me some more of the story then. You know, I'd love to know. And you know what I mean? Like, I think there's a bit of a collaborative space there that can happen at storytelling level because from my perspective, I, I wouldn't necessarily, well, that's tricky. <laughs> I wouldn't necessarily think in a group context that it can be helpful sometimes for everyone to just chip in and say, what's going on, what are you saying? But at the same time, it's not necessarily helpful for the person to just tell their story and then it just lands in a quiet room and then we kind of move on. Truthfully, some people are terrible at telling their story and they do need help and assistance and prompting. And so their questions can help. So there's two things to mention. I'm, I mean, the one thing is, so, so for instance, when you and I told our stories, we were both quite interactive with each other. We both followed our curiosity in asking questions and drawing out and nuancing the experience. And there was quite a lot of depth and quite a lot of openness. If we're in the context of a group, it can be very unhelpful for everyone to be able to chip in. And so I think in that context, it's very helpful for, for people to practice facilitation and for facilitators to enable for facilitators to ask open-ended questions that perhaps help people and help nuance things. And also f to to guide the 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 time because if you've got a group of six people and everyone is telling their story within an evening, everyone can't take an hour to do it. So it ends up being helpful to have certain boundaries in place and for facilitators to be able to ask open-ended questions and for s facilitators to practice being able to enable people to land their story as well. You know, to open up their story and to close it down within the context of the group. But I've definitely seen it in, in group environments. I remember running, hosting the seven key relationships together with, uh, with, a, with a church that was being planted. They'd heard that it was a great group for helping forming communities and getting them going, and they were excited about it. But as a, as a quote-unquote pastor type, they were terrible at any kind of like meaningful relationship stuff, and they just didn't get it. And it was about halfway through the series. No, in fact, it was over halfway through the series, and there was some genuine bonding that had been formed forming in the group and people really sharing their stories and in the context of people telling the stories of families it comes around to this guy and he's supposed to be you know he's 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 the pastor to to most of these people it comes around to him saying stuff about his family and he goes jeez guys i didn't realize you were all so messed up <laughs> 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 and that you know this was four or five weeks into an eight-week process and that just killed it it just totally killed the interaction amongst everyone. Why? Because it just it just created this divide between, yeah, I'm the pastor, my life is together, I'm all fine, you people are also messed up. <laughs> and and that's where the power of intimacy can make or break a group and the power of a disconnect like that and something that's out there. So um mm. There's a big difference. Absolutely. Yeah, there's a big difference between how people can respond to people's stories that is helpful and unhelpful. And if you're curating a group, you can help people come to understand that. But I think I think because we often tell these stories in one-on-one -on -one context, whether it's counseling or spiritual direction or spiritual accompaniment or any of those kind of things, 
we don't get to appreciate how masterful facilitators and story listeners are you know people that listen to stories and enable people to tell stories it's quite a, there's quite an art involved in that and so it's one of the reasons why i feel like like when introducing this to groups you actually have to share a value and share certain supporting principles that enable storytelling to be very helpful for a group because for instance in, in that context that that singular statement by the person killed it it makes me think of i think we touched on this in this sort of specificity that values drive practice then as opposed to practice drives value and if the value for storytelling is there and is deemed to be important then the way in which we go about storytelling hinges on the fact that it is important and so the way in which we do that and we host that on the size of groups etc cetera, etc cetera, we i.e general humanity <laughs> must be in such a way that it supports this value to its highest level of effectiveness um and and I hear you, I think, in terms of the you know the facilitation, et cetera. and 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 also going back to something you said earlier, i I do think I would base this off kind of my anecdotal experience within my own life of attempting to tell my story with people, and sometimes it goes better than other times, and working with numerous young people from this perspective where we are encouraging individuals and individuals in groups to tell their story in such a way that there is deeper connection with others and within church, etc. that I have seen it repeated. I wanted to say society, but I thought it might be better to just be a little bit more clear about my experience. Churches, and also just coming back to where I started, just my general experience with other adults is I don't think we are geared well. Yes, I don't think we are geared well, taught well, prepared well towards really listening to each other's stories. I don't think we value process as highly as we could. And, and I would admit if I was, no, not even if I was pushed, I would admit that process is a tricky one because there are things that just need to get done sometimes and so doing sometimes for certain reasons need to be needs to be prioritized but i think that we exist definitely in the western world in a far more doing oriented than being oriented space and we really miss the being um you know if i look at kind of if i look at some of the trends in business that i start to pick up there is a there's a serious move towards you know look after your employees develop your employees make people feel as though they're welcome in their workplace that they're valued for who they are and what they do that they are more than just means for production they are also individuals and I think that that's fantastic. I, I don't think any business would survive if there had to be a, like a, a deep storytelling therapy check-in at the beginning of every business day, for example. 
I think yeah. that, that, that <laughs> there's a, time there's a level at, exactly <laughs> yeah. right. Like there's a level of this at which it's just not helpful and uh, not helpful. That's 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 a poor phrase, but there's a level at which being slows down doing, and sometimes that is crucial. Sometimes it's very helpful. Sometimes it's like we're not going to go a step further because it's necessary. And there are some times when doing has to trump being. And I think it's a delicate balance and it's one that has to be managed well. But I do think we by far err on the side of doing rather than being. And I think we're uncomfortable with being from a Western mindset. I think we battle to to settle into deep storytelling. I think it's why we like to wrap up people's stories for them and fix their stories. And, oh, you you said you had a terrible childhood. What you mean is that you're stronger as an adult, right? Can we move on? <laughs> oh, thanks. Thanks, Karen, for sorting that out for me. Like, it's that's great. Anybody else want to fix my life for me quickly? All, all the other unhelpful stuff. That means you could have a purpose or, or God won't give you more than you can handle. Oh, wow, what a testimony you have. Oh. <laughs> Whatever schema we need to build a uh, uh, a quick fix story so that we don't actually have to get into your story and we can move on and our version of reality comes off somewhat unscathed. I, I, remember, I remember someone once saying to me, wow, you've really overcome a lot. And my immediate response was going, what makes you, I don't think I've overcome anything. I mean, <laughs> that's not the way these things work. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, Uh, yeah, it's an it's an it's an it's an it's it fuck. <laughs> it's an immensely complex thing that we're trying to just stretch out on a piece of paper and pin down the different bits and pieces and the moving parts. It's for for me, it's it's an absolute necessity. I I cannot see that life on this planet the future life on this planet is going to succeed without a greater ability for us as human beings to settle down into each other's stories. I think the gross political and social polarization for one would show us that we're sucking at listening and, and finding each other in our own stories and doing the messy work of whatever comes after that. But most definitely for us to sink deeper into the centers of self, self and the other, self and the divine other, this is a value which becomes a practice that is indispensable. It's just not something we can do without. Because I think a lot of the things, and this, without going down that rabbit trail, a lot of the things that we've, that we've replaced it with, I think we've, we've got enough data now to show us are not actually doing what this could do for us as individuals and as groups that gather. I think it's that crucial. It is. It's it's an Esther Perel thing again, to quote the great guru, my my celebrity um, psychotherapist crush. Is <laughs> <laughs> you know she says that the, the the meaning and the quality of your lives is directly proportional to the meaning and the quality of your relationships. It is just so true that a lot of people end up feeling quite isolated and disconnected, not because there aren't people around them, but because of their inability to connect with themselves 
creates a barrier to them connecting with others. I, I remember <laughs> years ago, I was, I was, I was, uh, <laughs> I was facilitating a, um, a, a group together with my, 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 my now um, ex-wife, but back then we were together and she, we had a, a mix of singles and marrieds in the group and uh, she said, she thinks that uh, married people are better at love because they've got more practice at it. <laughs> and there were two things that were very interesting that group that was highlighted is all the singles were hugely offended that someone could think that. And all the married people were like, well, that's actually quite profound and true, <laughs> which just <laughs> highlighted the difference between, <laughs> between how a statement like that can be received. And I think... I think that there's many situations in which relationships, especially this deep relational stuff, is, is not appreciated. Um, possibly because people are doing other things, and that's fine. But I think as we hit the second half of life, there are more and more people that realize that there's a disconnect between the person that they've been living as and the person that they feel like they're trying to discover themselves to be. And here, be-ing becomes a verb, and be-coming, you know, who are we becoming, who are we being, as verbs end up being quite powerful. And I think for people that are in this, this phase or that phase, storytelling and relational depth go hand in hand, because it is no longer important for them to be seen as someone who has cheese in life. It's important to be seen as the person that they are, and most importantly, for them to discover that person for themselves and for the people that they're close to, to be able to discover who they actually are and relate to them, not relate to their success or their achievements or their public status or their wealth or you know anything like that. And I think that's this is where storytelling is particularly important. And and there are some people who really do get it and other people who want to get it and other people who don't want to get it. <laughs> you know, and so so there's a lot of that as, as nuance. But I, I think it's it's tremendously valuable because of the way it frees us up to connect, because of what it frees us from and therefore allows us to not be working with what we've constantly got to juggle you know so if we're working if we're living with those 10 different layers of who we are <laughs> each layer creates a level of disconnect so no matter how sensitively we sensitive we want to be to be with people all these shells between us and all the shells that others are wearing means that we can't actually feel and we can't actually connect we can't actually touch each other at that deep level and and storytelling is is a wonderful practice, like like a value. It's a it, it's it's tremendously transformative in the way that it enables us to shed those false narratives that we've built up, and even to shed those true narratives that we've built up that can also get in the way of who we really are as well. I mean, I've I've just tripped into where I'm excited about it <laughs> after going through the year. <laughs> you know, some of the senses in terms of how it can go wrong. But but I, I just think as a value it is just so it is so underrated. And and I think you're right. Our society doesn't rate this highly enough. Yes, there's places where it's inappropriate to be there. But I think at the level of relational depth, if if we know each other deeply, we can trust each other. With the speed of trust and with knowing each other, we can work together in so many healthier ways. Just tremendously underrated, I think, is where, I, where I'm where i landing. I hear you. you. You know what I think 
I would add to that, which sounds almost like I'm disagreeing with you perhaps, but what I can't escape is, how can I put this? I, I don't have a sense that we're trying to speak about this tonight, uh, you know, in this kind of equation mindset of, well, drop the layers and pick up the truth and honesty and suddenly life makes sense and everything's perfect and all your relationships will deepen overnight, blah, blah, blah. This is not a, you know, this is not a, a magic pill from an Amazonian plant that we just discovered and it's going to make your life perfect. I think part of, in terms of what you've just said now, I think part of the reason is because this is fucking difficult. Yeah. It's exceptionally hard to do. It's equal, I don't know, I don't know how I can rate that level to level, but it it is also incredibly hard to keep up all the stories about yourself because at some level, they can be lies. There's the things you tell yourself. You, know, you talked about earlier about so the, the, the depth of our relationships is related to meaning. So if we're lacking depth in relationship, the stories we tell ourselves, like there's, there's, there's a huge... Um, um, there's a huge incentive there for us to keep telling us those stories because it's how we make meaning. So the more committed we are to those stories about who we are and et cetera, et cetera, the more we can face the meaningless in our life because we're not enjoying deep connection with others. But it's a huge amount of work to go on maintaining those existing layers around you and building others as the need arises, it's it's exhausting actually on one level. It's it's difficult, but it's it's not. Sometimes I think people make it sound like, but if you just, you know what it is? It's some of that Christian rubbish that I hear sometimes. Just come to Jesus. Just let it all fall down. Everything will be better. You know, if you just trust Jesus with your finances, you will never worry a day again in your life. If you just trust Jesus with your relationships, just trust God, trust whatever, you know. And it sounds so simple, but it's really, really not. It is a huge amount of effort. Sometimes I think it is more effort. And this is, this is what my gut tells me. It's more effort than telling those stories. Because... We're quite lazy as human beings, so we take the easy way out. So if the hard way is to tell all the stories, but the work of being yourself, being yourself, etc., I think that's what we would avoid. And I think we do avoid that, and that's part of the reason. And so I wouldn't want anyone listening tonight to think that we're trying to sell this as a simple silver bullet, easy, you know, A plus B equals C equation, because I don't hear that from you, and it's not my heart either. Essentially, like this is a really long walk uphill in the blazing sun with occasional, occasional and sometimes unpredictable stops for water, uh, with sometimes with, with an unspecified end in sight. Sometimes you think, well, the next rise, the next ridge, and then you're like, well, there's more mountain? What the hell? <laughs> it's, it's, it's hard work to strip off those stories and get to know yourself. It's hard work to listen to other people especially because it's so easy to understand people through a story that you've just created or curated over time. It's, it's exceptionally difficult, but I think, I think, I think it's worth it. I also think that my jury's a little bit out if I'm very, very honest, 
because it's exceptionally risky to really, really be honest and vulnerable with someone else, to really trust. Because that's the other thing, you know, you talk about the speed of trust, etc. But being that close to people with such little protection, it's also very easy to get hurt. And I think if you can push through in the depth of relationship and the storytelling and the connection, you can deal with those hurts because I think they're unavoidable. I think you can deal with them better than if you just lock yourself up and try and do it on your own. But it's, I would never want to suggest that this is a simple, easy thing. And, you know, your life will just turn around in a flash. It might get harder, actually, and it might remain harder for a long time. And it might never actually get easier. But I think that you're at the coalface of meaning there. I don't think you then have to lie to yourself about meaning in your life. And I think that's important. I like what Jordan Peterson says about lying to yourself. He says, sometimes you're the only person you're going to be able to rely on. And if you've been lying to yourself for a long time, you're not going to be sure whether you can trust yourself. And I, I really like that. Because that, for me, is a reason for to, to be honest and to be vulnerable with myself. Because I want to have that trust relationship. But sometimes I let me down and I hurt myself. And, uh, you know, I don't follow through and all those sorts of things. But I want to be at the coalface of meaning because I, I think that's the truest true to write, be there in the meaning, in the depth of the relationship. And I think everything else is a second best. Look, I'm 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 with you there on on all of the above, but I um I feel to throw in that that with the spiritual accompaniment accompaniment that I that I do, the key relationships that we have end up being an integral part of that, and often there's a spiral dynamics involved, you know, by beginning talking about the story of one relationship weaving into another, there's an ever deepening process of of revelation as people spend time with themselves with those stories and then they spend time, you know, in a one-on-one environment sharing those stories. And I think that ends up being quite powerful. I think also in the context of the seven key relationships as a series, it's phenomenal seeing the degree to which some people's lives start falling apart as they start facing the truth, as they start, you know. And, and in many ways, if you are living a life that's very out of tune with who you are, that life is not sustainable in the long run. You, you're going to have to lose it at some point in order to, you, you've got to lose your life to find it. It comes down to mm. that in some ways. Mm. And storytelling is one way to do that. So in that mm. sense, it, it, it actually like should, come, should come with a warning label, you know, mm. <laughs> warning label, you know. <laughs> it's uh, hazardous to your health. Yeah. <laughs> you might you die. Know, all the, all the you know, <laughs> sex, violence, nudity, language, <laughs> prejudice, yes. all of that's yes. going to be involved in it, you know. I like that. So, so I think I think that's quite that's quite challenging, and, and that's again where, you know, we were musing a couple of weeks ago on the shift between in preaching, it's all stage centered and preacher centered, and that's where your trust rests. Your trust rests in the person that's leading the church, and uh, the eldership or leadership or whoever, and of course the Bible is the word of God, right? <laughs> Whereas the locus of trust shifts from the stage to the participants in this kind of process. Uh, because it relies on them being authentic, present, vulnerable, relies on them <clears throat> being being honest in terms of sharing, well, as honest as they can be. <laughs> because we're not all equally honest with ourselves, but in telling our stories, we start discovering 
where we are and where we aren't. And so it's very powerful to layer it that way. I think the other thing is, is when we tell stories in groups, we often tell better sanctified or better edited stories. When we tell stories one-on-one, -on -one, we can really go to the depth of, of, of the story in some ways. And when we tell the story to ourselves, we can see the myriads of connections that we might not even be able to express. And I think, I think those three layers of storytelling end up being tremendously important. Absolutely. Yeah, I like that. I like that. Sure. I mean, this. I, I don't feel like we've. Uh, I don't feel like we've gone far enough. And yet, I also feel as though we've covered enough ground for uh, for the conversation tonight. But there is just so much in my mind, so much more to talk about when it comes to storytelling. I agree with you. My, my, head is, is. my head is bouncing all over the place. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I, perhaps I, I might finish with this, like a, a simple thought. I, the question came to mind when you were talking kind of, okay, well, we might not be there yet, but if we landed this episode, how would we answer the question? Okay, well, cool. I've listened to you guys blabber on for an hour or so and like I'm with you to a certain extent. So, so what do I do then if I'm listening? So, so how does one go and do this storytelling thing? And I think to myself, anyone who would ask me that question, I would get super excited because I love the idea of someone awakening to the prospect of either telling their own story or listening authentically to somebody else's story. And so I would say, that's phenomenal. You're like, you're a good 50 to 60% of the way there. Although those numbers are also going to change as you start to get into that. Because as soon as you get there, that 50 to 60 might shrink to 3%. And then, you know, there's lots of things that we have to learn along the way. But the one thing I would say is, is just go and do it. Go and try it. Grab somebody that you feel that you can trust. So set up maybe a couple of those things that we've talked about. Find yourself some time and space. <laughs> I once I once did a feedback session with a friend of mine that they, they were going through a process and they asked me to come and tell them some things about themselves that they thought might be difficult to hear. And we did it at Mug and Bean in a mall. There's a coffee shop. And I thought, oh man, we set this up really badly. <laughs> <laughs> How am I supposed to potentially tell you things that might really hurt you in a coffee shop? I'm aware of the fact that I don't want you to like, I don't know, burst into tears or throw a cup of coffee at me and storm out or whatever in public. So that was a shocking place to do that. But find yourself somewhere private with this person that you can trust and risk sharing something with them about you that perhaps has surprised you or you're learning about yourself. Tell your story, embody your story in as honest, as brutally honest a way as you can, as clearly as you can, being willing to refine things as you say, if they ask, or I'm not quite sure what do you mean, whatever, whatever. Tell your story and also start by issuing them the invite. This is not to fix you. You're not asking necessarily for advice. You're not welcoming them in. This is not like a workshop to like solve the problem necessarily, whatever it is. You just want to experiment with actively telling your story and seeing what happens. Or do the opposite and 
ask someone if they would like to share something with you and you go in and just be curious and listen well and we'll get to deep listening next week but yeah i almost feel like i just want to if anyone's listening to that thinks oh that sounds really fascinating okay we'll go and try it and and the golden rule right don't be a dick just remember that <laughs> yes. the golden rule if you think am i being a dick stop how can i be less of a dick it's a great golden rule to follow like I invited this person to listen to me and I set this up and I asked for this to happen. Great. Cool. Like I'm going to host the space. Then I'm going to own what I've asked for. Or if you're going to be listening, you know, think about those things. Oh yeah. I'm not here to solve their problem. I'm not here to tell them what they're thinking, etc. Just here to just really just let them trot out a piece of themselves in public between us. And I'm here to listen. And to tell them what I hear them saying, perhaps even give it a try. I think that's a, that's an excellent place to leave it. 